Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. It's great to have you with us here on the program. Uh, we're going to have a very interesting conversation today. Uh, we're going to work our way uh, uh, through, I, I will say it's one of my favorite uh, puzzles. Unfortunately for a lot of folks, it's not that much fun. That's right. Uh, we're going to talk about an interesting concept and a book that's written by our author, uh, our guest, uh, who is the author, uh, Dr. Uh, Donna Marks, and she is going to talk to us about um, exiting or exit the maze, one addiction, one cause, one solution. And uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, Doctor, for joining us here on the program. And I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. It's one of those uh, um, first questions, of course. Uh, what is, for our listeners, what is the one addiction? Well, I call it one addiction because what happens is that there's this invisible hole, this sense of something is missing in my life, this void. And so that hole is always searching for a fix. So what happens when people often recognize they have an addiction or they have a bad habit, they call it, and they'll stop it. You know, they'll either stop it on their own, which is rare to be able to do that, but some people can, or they'll go to get help and stop it. And then it just switches to another addiction. For example, someone who quits smoking who starts eating a lot of sugar, or someone who stops eating a lot of sugar and goes to carbs, or someone who gets off cocaine and starts gambling. It's just a merry-go-round, and you just jump from one seat to the next. And of course, uh, hence the title, Exit the Maze, because that's really what you're talking about here. Jumping from one to another, you just turn the corner and... Oh, I'm, I'm not out yet, and I'm not out right. yet, and I'm not out yeah, yet. Yeah, what happens is, you know, you go you go get help, and then you wind up from one corridor to the next. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all dead-end streets, and you're still in the addiction. You're not out. I find it interesting, too, uh, when I think about uh, the, the puzzle, the maze. Uh, I can actually uh, work my way through it just with my eyes. I'll just you know, start tracking uh, the maze and finding, and I can usually do it in one or two tries before I ever put pen or pencil to paper. doesn't work quite that way when we're trying to get out of uh, that particular maze or exit the maze of, of addiction. And, you know, we, we, like you say, we trade one for the other. Uh, but I guess... Well, that's a great metaphor that you just used, because what you're doing is you're becoming the observer of the maze rather than being in the maze and trying to get out. And if people would be um, would decide that I'm in charge of me, nobody else is in charge of me, I'm in charge of me, and I'm going to be the observer of what's going on with me and to me. And most people get addicted because something has happened to them. And they, you know, at some people, most people innocently become addicted. Things are made to get us addicted. They're not made to get us casual use. Um, and almost all the things that get people addicted, if they could step back and say, let me think about this for a minute. You know, if, if I, how, how much alcohol content's in here? Uh, how much sugar is in here? Uh, you know, what happens to people who gamble all the time? If, uh, what, what's really going on here? How come I'm, I'm going to be on this porn site five times a day? You know, if they could just step back out of that, before they get addicted and say, I don't know if I want to go down that corridor because I've watched a lot of people go down that corridor and they get stuck there. So I'm not so sure I even want to go there. Well, and I have to tell you that um, it seems to me that this whole aspect of addiction, we need to define that as well, because there are those who would say, well, 
then if I were to use a certain criterion or a definition, if you will, that means that I have an addiction and I never looked at it that way. I never thought of it. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, for example, I, I, I have a, a beer occasionally. I, I might buy, a, for example, I'll buy a 30-pack of cans, put it in the refrigerator, and it might last me two, three months or more because I'm also drinking these uh, zero-sugar, zero-carbs, sparkling-flavored waters, which I switched from sodas. And, of course, someone said to me the other day, they said, well, Richard, you, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, you're looking at these addictions and you wonder sometimes. You really do. But they said to me, uh, <clears throat> but, Richard, it's in a plastic bottle and, uh, and, and that, that nitrogen in there, that's not good for you. And I just hold it. Wait a minute. One step at a time. I just quit drinking sodas for two years. I have not had one soda. Okay. So I don't know that I necessarily switched from one addiction to the other, per se. I, I was doing it for my health. And maybe there's the next step that will come along in the next six months or something. Um, what about that? What, what, how do you define addiction? Well, I think the big key here is, uh, are there, um, do bad things happen? Is something bad happening? And if you continue to do something when something bad is happening, what they call uh, negative consequences, then why would you be doing that if you weren't addicted? You know, addicted has become like the dirtiest word on the planet. Mm -hmm. And it's really, uh, you know, it, it's become so adverse. So people have become so averse to the word because they conjure an image in their mind of someone staggering down the street, you know, or someone on the sidewalk with a needle in their hand. You know, that's what we think is addicted. But addicted is just simply doing the same thing, even though it's harming you. Because why else would you do it? You know, if you if you get drunk and every time you, you, you have one drink, you wind up getting drunk or, or even, you know, five out of 20 times that happens and there's something bad follows like a hangover or a fight or a DUI. Why are you doing it again? Uh, only because your mind, you know, that hole is driving you, you know, you're going for the effect. So um, the sodas gave you some kind of an effect. Probably the sugar gave you that little buzz. Um, but the negative consequences to your health, you stopped. So you're not addicted anymore. Now, if you start it again, you probably will get addicted again because it's, like I said, it's made to get you addicted. It's not made to give you controlled usage. Right. No, I get you. <clears throat> now, the, the, the main reason I did it was for me to get off of sodas, but it was also because in July of 2020, uh, three months after or four months or whatever, after we were all locked down, everybody switched to comfort foods, and so did we. And my blood sugar was to a level where I was, uh, I was told, you have type 2 diabetes. And my doctor says, it's going to be a long road, Richard. And I said, no, it's not, because I know how I got here. And in a month and a half, I had dropped it back down to normal because I, had, I did not have another soda after the 23rd of uh, July, July 2020. And, you know, here I am today. So it's one of those, from my perspective, it's one of those things where, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you, you're right. You're looking for the effect. I used to drink them all the time. I, ha I even built my own cup holder on the handlebars of my bicycle because that's how I got around so that I could stop by the convenience store and fill that sucker up and then go bicycling. And I've never been a heavy person. Never in my entire life, even during that period of time, because I think that I was burning off all of that excess sugar and carbs and everything by the bicycling. 
you know, so it's kind of maintaining a, a status quo of sorts. Right. Um, when we talk about this process of um, breaking the cycle, or better yet, exiting the maze, and again, the title of the book, folks, is Exit the Maze, so we want to keep that uh, straight. Um, where in the world do we start? Well, uh, we have to face the reality, and you said that you had to stop drinking sodas because of health reasons. And the health reasons related to addiction killed way more people than COVID. The people who died of COVID had addiction related health issues. And this just really grind away at myself, my, my, my self peace during COVID watching everybody be terrified of getting COVID rather than being terrified of becoming addicted because it was the heart disease, the liver disease, the diabetes illnesses, the, um, you know, the uh, almost all major health issues have, and mental health issues, by the way, have yep. addiction at their core. Um, alcohol, drugs, including nicotine, sugar, and trans fats are at the root of almost all major medical illnesses, even genetically predisposed, because if those people didn't have uh, a lot of stress and they had a healthy diet, you know, they would have a much greater chance of never having these predispositioned illnesses. So it, it's really important to, to really start there, you know, that if we were taking care of ourselves and not succumbing to these addictions, then even if we get a major pandemic, we're not going to be so worried about it. We're not going to be afraid of it because we're healthy. You know, that's interesting that you put it that way, because there was a study that was done probably, mm, I want to say maybe less than a year <clears throat> into the pandemic. And it was done in New York State. And it was a, the study was done on uh, the reason why individuals died who were now resting, so to speak, uh, in the um in the, uh, in, in the refrigerated uh, uh, trailers. And what they found, and this is to your point, was that of those who had, of the 100% who had been classified as uh, succumbing to the virus, 99% of them actually succumbed to the underlying conditions that the virus took advantage of. And if they, if they had not had the heart disease, the diabetes, the high blood pressure, whatever the other conditions Lung are, disease. right, then they probably would have gotten really sick, but they would have survived. Yes. And, and, and I if, find if they got proper if they got proper treatment in the hospital, which is a whole nother topic, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> that is true. Um from from your perspective, and again, yes, we are we're talking certainly about the virus, but we're also talking about exiting the maze. And in in your case, um, well, the virus tightened up the maze. Yeah, what was it, open? It what did. was open? Bars and uh, and and grocery stores for seniors first thing in the morning, so they could all group together and spread it. You know, yeah. they did. They weren't passing out gloves; they're passing out masks. Yeah. So everything you touch, you know, is still contaminating. And then you're getting the most highest risk population congregated together in the morning. And then the, the other people are that, that you can go get liquor and you can get anything you want uh, in, in that respect, you know, which certainly doesn't improve your chances of surviving COVID. 
<clears throat> Indeed. We're talking with and it increases your chances of being more likely to be addicted. And also all the recovery meetings were shut down. To me, that was a travesty. Indeed. And of course, I look at it from the standpoint that uh, this was all new to all of us. Yeah, we could look back to the Spanish flu of the 1918, but we didn't have anybody alive that could really guide us through what they went through so that, you know, we didn't make the same mistakes. This was for this these generations that are alive today this this was brand new we this was uncharted territory uh in a lot of areas from from my observation and uh it's just really interesting how we did handle it and i'll share that with you in a moment as we remind our listeners that you are listening to uh, a conversation that i am having with dr donna marks we're talking about her book which is called exit the maze one addiction one cause one solution and we're going to see if we can't uh, touch upon that one solution as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us, folks. This is, I think, a conversation that we need to have because um, would there be the uh, label addiction put on mental as well as, say, psychological addictions? Um, I'm thinking more in terms of personal philosophies that that almost seem to um, I, I don't want to say you know put us in a, a cult-like frame of mind, but with the polarization that we have in this country today, it kind of feels like we've got two cults that are kind of working to destroy each other because they see the other side as wrong. Uh, you could even look at the category of uh, maybe uh, religion, for that matter, you know, or not just politics, but religion or the economy. And and people take on these these mindsets that they will they refuse to consider other possibilities because they've been locked into this. However, they got locked into it. Is that is that a is that considered an addiction too? well, uh, I certainly think that people that are involved in um, certain sects, let's say, whether it's politics or religion, <clears throat> can become addicted uh, for sure, because if they, if they don't have uh, enough love in their life and enough sources of pleasure and enjoyment, and they're lonely, they're susceptible to getting involved in, in these causes, and um, they, can, you know, it, they can lose themselves. Uh, what we want to look for, though, are, is their negative consequences. Now, when you're talking about a conversation and people won't have conversations, so they won't listen to the other point of view, I don't know if that's addicted or just plain stupid. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, how are we ever going to learn? Um, you know, I have my views and my beliefs, but I love listening to somebody else. I, when I'm watching the news, I watch all of the channels because I'm gathering information from all those sources. I'm staying above the maze and watching, you know, I'm not in it. So um, I think that's a different, different conversation, but de definitely people do get addicted to cults, to different causes. And those causes don't always have their best interests at heart. You know, sometimes it's more about business than it is about, you know, the cause. So we, we need to be, be careful uh, that we, you know, don't get pulled into situations that don't have uh, our best interests at heart or that are harming us or, or, or our families in some ways. And, yeah. you know, certainly we know that this political dialogue, you know, when families aren't talking to each other, what is that about? I mean, that is just utterly 
um, to an, on a, a, on a mental health thing, you know, where people can't have families, especially can't put love first and have a, a nice, lively, let's say, or even passionate conversation yeah. without, without breaking up. Yeah. Something's really going on in the mental health. Yeah. Well, I had, uh, I had a, a very heated conversation with one of my siblings when I was, <clears throat> when I was back in Phoenix for my sister's memorial. And, um, I mean, we were probably talking for maybe two hours until my mother came out of the bedroom. We were staying with her at the time. <clears throat> my mother came out of the bedroom and said, boys, it's, uh, it's 1 a.m. And of course the memorial was that afternoon, that, that, that same day. But <clears throat> we, we, uh, uh, we had our conversation and uh, I really, I don't know whether he was listening or hearing what I was saying or not, but I was doing my utmost to hear him and listen to him and what he had to say. And we actually came to the end of the conversation agreeing on three particular issues that we both agreed needed to be dealt with, even though we may not have agreed on the solutions that each of us came to. We had agree agreement on, yeah, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. And I was not about to turn that conversation into a wedge to divide us. Um, it's always going to be my brother. Beautiful. You, know? you chose love over yeah. being right. I said, uh -huh. you know, none of this is going to be. I mean, in 10 years, everything that we're dealing with right now is going to be 10 years old. And it's going <laughs> to be in the past. And yet, if and hopefully that he, my brother and I are still alive, we'll still be brothers. And we'll yes, still be part of exactly. a family. And I thought that was a heck of a lot more important than our ideologies and our position on our positions. So it's just. A, uh, and if you think about it, what do we know? What, what do we really know? Yeah. We don't know what we're being told. So what, what, what are we being told and what do we really know? Unless we're right there firsthand witnessing it. Exactly. Exactly right. We are talking with uh, Dr. Donna Marksry. She's got uh, a one book in particular that we're talking about, of course, Exit the Maze. Every time I read that title, I keep thinking, well, let's let's just call it uh, Megxit, you know, like they did with uh, Britain exiting Europe, called it Brexit. So this is Megxit, but we won't go there. Exit the Maze is the title of the book. And uh, we are uh, talking with, again, as I said, uh, Dr. Uh, <clears throat> Donna Marks here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And it is really a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk about <clears throat> these particular issues, specifically when it comes to our mental health, our mental and our spiritual well-being, uh, because I, my understanding, uh, doctor, is that the the next pandemic, though it probably won't be labeled as such, but it certainly can be observed as such, is our mental health crisis because of the virus that we've been dealing with and the lockdown and all of the subsequent things that happened over the last two plus years. Uh, is that is that a fair assessment uh, from your perspective? I think our mental health crisis is because of addiction. Just because of it? Okay. That, that COVID actually, because, as you say, brought that out. Yes. I think that, you know, when we look at how many people are suffering from anxiety, which I don't use that word in my practice when I'm dealing with patients, we use the word fear because uh, that's what it is. And you don't need to give pills to fear. You need to give solutions to fear. <clears throat> and a pill is a Band-Aid, not a solution. So, um, and then depression, you know, the, 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 it, the conditions now of 
of how people are expected to function when they at an early age are giving electronic devices and um, are isolated and, and do not develop interpersonal skills based on good self-esteem and, and social interaction with other children and proper supervision and interaction and affirmations and uh, integrations and time with family to learn how to cope with the world has created kids who um, have that hole, that invisible hole, which I call the one addiction, far worse than, than children who are raised with enough food, shelter, warmth, love, attention, affirmations. Um, almost all parents who are abusive have addictions um, and that's why they're abusive. We know that the, the domestic violence rate is almost always tied into addiction, including the addictive relationship and the domestic assault relationships where that's an addiction of going back and forth to the same trauma despite negative consequences without mutual intervention and healing. Um, so what's happened is that the children are put out into the classroom or not, um, but in either case, they don't have the sense of I'm, you know, I'm valuable and so are you and let's spend time together and yeah. let's make each other feel good in healthy ways. <clears throat> and so there's this, you know, growing internal void, number one. And then, um, and then on the other hand, some parents are going to the other extreme of I've got to be the perfect parent and meet every need on demand. And that child is going into the world expecting the world to bow down to their requests. I actually, they were playing something on, on, on Facebook recently. A woman was like demanding that, that and, and this is what's happening politically too, that one person or a few people will demand that the world bows down to their belief system or their, what their feelings of what they think should happen. And this is not good mental health. So all this is priming people to get out of that bad feeling that they're in and engage in some type of addiction. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic in which we live. But this isn't anything new, is it? I'm, or, or is this new from the standpoint of our technology, uh, the, uh, you know, the industrial revolution that took place, what was it, in the late 18, early 1900s? Do we have an idea as to when this started, or is it is it tied to our modern technology of, say, the last 20, 30, maybe 40 years? Well, I think that, uh, and you know, before we had so many addictive things that uh, it certainly was better, um, although we do know that there was a different type of problem, you know, in the 1800s, 1700s, or early 1900s, even of surviving, you know, so there was a a different, different dynamic that could have caused parenting to be less effective because there was such a strong uh, work ethic and surviving was more important. So there was a much more hardcore attitude, you know, and rigidity and religion was involved in that also, which, you know, had a, a, a negative effect on child uh, development for sure. Mm. Um, but that's different than what we're going through now where um, parents might have much better techniques and styles and information. You know, there's so many books available on how to have effective parenting. But if, you know, you can read 10 books and if you're getting drunk every night or you're on your porn site all the time or you're working uh, 20 hours a day and you're not involved with your children, those parent, uh, parent effectiveness skills don't really go very far. 
I know that um, it's very easy to 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 focus on our screens as the term is now, uh, which ap- applies to pretty much anything that puts you on the internet. <laughs> okay, and um, I've sort of made the commitment myself that even if I have work that I need to do at home on the computer. I, I try to stretch it out in such a way so that at least one night I just I just put the computer aside and I go in the house and I spend the evening, the whole evening, with my wife, dinner and watching television or whatever it is that we're doing. I know Together. that's an that's another screen, I, but it's different. Okay. And then there will be those nights where I'll say Okay, I do have a little computer work that I need to take care of, and I'm going to take care of it early so that I can get back in here and, you know, we can, again, spend the rest of that evening and so forth. And she understands that. For the most part, I think she does. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to, to balance all those particular dynamics. And I know it's, it's kind of hard for people to do, and then it becomes an addiction. I mean, maybe, maybe at first it wasn't, but it becomes one, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I, I'm glad you brought up the whole technology issue because that's a new babysitter, you know, a phone yeah. or an app or an iPad. It's the new babysitter. And uh, they're very addictive, especially for kids because they're getting this constant stimulation and they don't want to put them down. Uh, you know, even parents who try to put limits on children using them, the children will act like any other uh, addiction and they'll start stinking <laughs> hiding it under their pillow and having temper tantrums when they can't do it, you know? So, uh, and then they get, then they get diagnosed as being on the spectrum (laughs) when really they, they probably are, but not for the reasons that they should, you know, that they're, you know, that there's some kind of neuro defection that that they're born with. It's because of, you know, they've been programmed uh, to want that immediate gratification right now. And, any type of other social type of skill of just being and playing and coloring and things that are tapping into the other part of the brain, which is the creativity and balance and, and being in that Zen type of feeling for a child or even playtime with other kids, which is very exciting and stimulating in a normal situation. Mm-hmm. These things are put aside for those technologies. And then the kids on the spectrum, so they go to the doctor because they're bored in school. They're not learning. And this isn't the only cause of ADDH, by the way. Emotionally disturbed children are often undiagnosed and misdiagnosed as having attention deficit disorder. But anyhow, in either case, whether they're on the, evaluated by their teachers as on the spectrum or that they are just not interested and can't focus and are hyper or whatever, uh, you know, they've taken to the doctor and rather than looking at the cause and dealing with the cause, these little kids are being put on pills. You know, if I had been born 10 years later, I was born in 1960. If I had been born in 1970 and exhibited the same levels of energy and enthusiasm and excitement that I did when I was a kid in the 60s and early 70s into my teen years, I probably would have been diagnosed with those acronyms or spectrum titles. And so I then have to ask you, um, in your area of expertise, if these are real conditions or if they've just the, 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 uh, um, the, the attributes of a child being a child are being diagnosed as something so that we can start them on the road to pill them. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. I mean, well, I, I think, 
you know? I think that we've unconsciously entered the um, pharmaceutical maze, which is a horrible maze. And you hear it all the time, <laughs> the overdoses, the addictions and all of that. But again, you know, we have to step back and look at what's going on here. And do we want to be a part of it? Or do we want to just evaluate all the information and make conscious uh, decisions that we know are right for us? Uh, these situations, you know, are you going to say, is obesity real? Of course, if someone's 100 pounds overweight, they have an obesity problem. Okay, is, you know, going in and doing the abdominal resection, the solution? Well, it's a solution, but it doesn't really deal with the cause of the problem. So that person, uh, uh, this is very common that they don't tell you when they're getting ready to do the surgery. Those people who have those eating disorders that were never treated, they get the uh, surgery for to, to lose weight. They do lose weight, but then a very high chance that they become alcoholic. So Again, that one addiction just jumps around from into the next uh, well, mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, to the next corridor. So uh, we we really need to to deal with the causes of these things and not just. I mean, you can keep cutting out a person's lung, you know, until there's nothing left because they're smoking. Um, you can put them on pills for that too, uh, you know. That with that, but you're giving up a piece of your brain every time you do that. Every time you take a pill to do as a solution for a mental health problem, and addiction is a mental health problem, you're giving up a piece of your mind and your brain. Is that really what you want to do, or you want to get rid of the problem altogether? Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's a a very interesting dynamic to say the very least that we are dealing with uh, specifically in this country. Is it uh, is it a global problem? Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. You can. Uh, and in, in my uh, we're, the book that um, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, originally was One Cure, now it's One Solution. Um, the revised edition that's coming out in December, I have all the statistics from the World Health Organization and National Institute on Health and uh, tons and tons and tons of statistics on world uh, health conditions that are, and then when you, you know, you have to kind of dig a little, you the number one killer on the planet is heart disease. What causes heart disease? Again, it's back to, you know, alcohol, drugs, sugar, trans fats, you know, that those are the main components of people who wind up having heart attacks. And then rather than, you know, they'll say, well, stop smoking or stop eating this, but how, once you become addicted, the doctor tells you to stop it. So now they give you a pill. This will block the cholesterol. This will do this. This will do that. Or they operate or whatever the case may be, rather than you need some help with your addiction. Why don't we do that? Yeah, that's a good question. It seems like because the the pill is the solution. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it just it's like the answers are like sitting right there in front of us. They seem like it was so simple. And yet we refuse to. uh, There seems to be two aspects to this. We uh, not only in this country in particular, and I, I kind of notice have noticed this, that in this country, we don't want any interference from anybody from the outside telling us how to solve our problems. We are Americans in the greatest country in the world, and we will solve our own problems. We don't need your your help, whatever country it might be, whatever other individual. It's like, seriously, we can't learn from other people. I mean, that's kind of why we're here to learn from each other. You know, 
And, um, and there's always the, the skepticism and the, the cynicism and so forth that the ideas came from somewhere else. It's like there is no vacuum. You know, every idea is, um, came from previous ideas before. There's nothing new under the sun, as it, as it says. And I just find that that's, you know, it's really unfortunate that, that we have, as, as a nation, quite honestly, we've taken that perspective that now we have, we know what's best for us, you know. Well, it's not just America. There's people no, that's that, true. On, on the on planet that think they know what's best for everybody. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, but here's the beautiful thing. And to go back to your metaphor, we as individuals can step back from all that and look at it and observe it and check with our own inner knowing and our own inner self, you know, our own spirit and decide what's best for us. Yeah. We don't have to succumb to any type of group think or elite think or whatever you want to call it. Right, right. Um, we can think for ourselves. We mm -hmm. can think for ourselves. And we all have that part of us that knows right from wrong, and we can know what's right from wrong from our, for ourselves, too. Well, I'll tell you, it's just, it's really kind of cool to have you here on the program to talk about this because uh, I think it's, it's, it's an important uh, aspect of where we are and and uh, and quite honestly and maybe one aspect where we're going and if we don't get a handle on some of these things we're not going very far uh you know it's you know everybody's so concerned about this nation continuing on you know into the 300th or 400th year well, we'll take a look at history because we apparently as human beings seem to refuse to uh, learn from history and not make the same mistakes that were made so as to preserve if this is the lifestyle that you want this is the kind of system you want to live under to preserve it we're not learning the lessons uh, from past civilizations on how to take care of ourselves and each other how important if I may ask this question, as a matter of fact, I'm going to hold off on asking this question for just a moment because I want to remind you folks that you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. We're talking with Dr. Donna Marks, and Exit the Maze is the title of her book. There's, she's got another book we want to talk about here in just a couple minutes as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I wanted to ask you, Dr. Uh, <clears throat> if... Um, uh, if I can, uh, uh, if I can uh, pull the question you can back. Just call me Donna, by the way. All right, Donna. All right, that's, that's so much better. Thank um, you. The this aspect of um, of learning how to learn from history. The, the the interesting question that was posed to me when I used that phrase in a recent interview was, "Okay, that's great. What are we supposed to learn from history? What, you know?" And, and I thought, well, that's a legitimate question because no one's ever really asked it before. All they say is, learn from history. Well, what am I supposed to learn? It's kind of like in school. You go to English class. What am I supposed to learn here? Chemistry? I don't think so. I'm supposed to learn English. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of this process that we nationally as well as globally are going through uh, in terms of either your optimism or your pessimism as an individual as well as as a, a therapist uh, in terms of the, uh, I don't know, the the extenuation, the longevity of America, as well as uh, as uh, the majority of the eight billion people that are on the planet, to continue. Well, I think that the the key <clears throat> to what we can learn from history, and I, I assume you're talking about um, the self-destructive components of yes. history. 
is that, you know, we always have the choice between fear or love. Yeah, as you know, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, and uh, it's not for everybody because it's dense reading, but I like it because it makes me think, Mm -hmm. and I like to think. Yeah. But there's always, you know, there's always that choice. And if I'm imposing, we can take a recent situation in this country of people trying to impose their political views on each other. I'm right, you're wrong. And that leads to uh, anger and that leads to war. We take Russia and Ukraine. Uh, You know, one one country is invading and imposing on the other and it it leads to war. Uh, If we can do exactly what you did with your brother And even though we might feel activated and feel uncomfortable, that we choose love over fear, then we can stay engaged and stay on track for solutions that are win-win and not win-lose or lose-lose. Because actually, there's no such thing as a win-lose. If I get everything I want and you get nothing that you want, I'm losing too. Because the world goes on relationships working, not failing. So if a person gains everything and has nothing, as they say in the good book, Mm -hmm. what do they have? You know, a whole lot of nothing because you can have everything material, but if you don't have love and you don't know how to share and receive love and you don't have friends and you don't have a cause and you don't have anybody to care about and you're not fulfilling a purpose, you have nothing. You have nothing. So you'll keep looking and accumulating and getting more and more and more. And and that's an addiction too. you know, going nowhere and more and more negative consequences. So if we learn anything from history, it's not to impose on one another, but to be loved, to share love and to receive love and so and solve our problems from that perspective, as corny as it might sound. It is the only thing that works. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And one of the, the, the focal points of this program is, of course, uh, to take a look at those new ways of living so all you have to do is take a look around. The old ways, they don't work anymore. They just don't. Uh, you know, I mean, how far do you have to go back? You don't have to go back that far. You know, a couple of years maybe or five years or ten years and realize that we're not making the kinds of differences in the lives of the people around us. Uh, I've even posed this question, and and I've been, uh, you know, taking a task sometimes for asking the question, does humanity even deserve to uh, be allowed to continue because of the way it treats its fellow man? Man's inhumanity to man, as they say. And I'm I'm still an optimistic person. My glass is still half full. uh, And I tend to believe that, I mean, that's the reason we go to school, for example, education. We're there to learn. We're there to... Uh, evolve intellectually, mentally, and so forth, as well as socially, uh, well, then we, you know, yeah, we're only in school for 12 years. Well, maybe it's going to take 12,000 years for us as a, a species to finally get the message that, you know, we don't have to play these silly games that, you know, they're playing over there in the eastern part of the of, of Europe, uh, in, in uh, Ukraine. As I've often said, this is, this is not the way we play in the 21st century, you knucklehead. Grab that little guy by the ear and say, you're on a permanent timeout, you know, kind of thing. Uh, that's kind of what I heard when I first heard about the invasion. I'm going, uh-uh, we don't play this way. It's not the way I was taught anyway. <laughs> um, what about yeah. 
<clears throat> we don't know what's really, like I said, we don't know everything. We're no, not that's true. There. We're not yeah. on either side in, in sure. the inner circles of how this all came about. Mm-hmm. But we do. Mm-hmm. But I do know this, that there could have been an interception, an intervention. Uh, there are powers like uh, we have here in this country and other powers in the world that could have done an intervention. Uh, that's what the United Nations used to do. I don't know what they do now. Um, <laughs> and have those people work this out from the place of caring and uh, and loving, not killing. Yes, yes. Which no, is I, just, in this day and age, is just unbelievable. But you know, we sit back and watch it, and then we help them kill each other. Yeah, which I, 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 oh, I still remember when I was a kid growing up, and there was the... Uh, the um, uh, Egyptian-Israeli war, I guess it was. And we, and this was the logic that I had heard, we were, f- we were supplying weapons to both sides because we didn't want Russia to be supplying weapons. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> You know, yeah, it's if like, it's true, if it's true, again, if it's true, that is all. Not. Yeah, that goes back to that other aspect of knowing what I is. I think we can true. all relate to the fact yeah. that someone came into our home and started, you know, trying to take it over. We would defend it, of course. Sure, sure, yeah. But you know, there should be some type of intervention that that I can, you know, I can call nine one one and they'll help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the president of uh, 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 is calling nine one one and. And nobody's answering. Help, but it's not helping yeah. stop the problem. That's it right there. Yeah. Um, self-care in terms of making sure that we are taking care of ourselves in such a way that um, we can be sure that, hey, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it. Uh, you know, I, 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 I know I'm going to make it. It's going to be okay. What are some of the, the methods you've come up with? Because you say that, that your solution is different than, than others. Uh, so let's take a look at that aspect of self-care and say, okay, so how do we make sure that we're going to make it, that, that we're going to be okay? Well, some people don't feel that way. I know when I was addicted, I didn't feel like I was going to be okay. And so that's why I needed my addiction to make me feel okay. Uh, but the problem is the more you engage in an addiction to feel okay, the more okay you're not going to be. So, okay. So, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> so, I'm so confused. So, <laughs> so um, here's the thing. Uh, every, I believe, and I think that's what's missing in, in treatment facilities. I believe that every addiction is a substitute for love. So what do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, when I drink a drink or when I smoke a cigarette or when I was running marathons, I was getting high. It made me feel that feeling I was looking for because when I wasn't doing those things, I had this unease, dis-ease, they call it, unease, and, and I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin or there's got to be something that'll make me feel better, you know, more therapy, more spiritual retreats, more this, more that, you know, on and on and on. It just never ended. And then finally, I I had to realize, and the Course in Miracles helped me with this part, is that what I'm looking for isn't out there. It's in here. It's in here. And it's having that conscious contact with that inner voice that will guide me into the right directions. And also, most importantly, I had to learn how to love myself. 
And this gets us back to the earlier part of the conversation and how we are raised. And I'm not blaming parents. I'm a parent. I have three children. I made all the mistakes, you know, as in my template from my own parenting. But we can do better. We can do better. And to learn how to raise children that are so full of a good self-esteem and good feelings that they can bounce off with the negativities that happen in life and it doesn't penetrate them. But when we are, when like myself, have this pain inside from having um, a defective environment <clears throat> and we go into the world, we never fit and we're always trying to fit. So those things help us to feel like we fit. Once I had to learn how to do the kind of parenting of myself that I didn't get back then, which means a full spectrum from proper nutrition, um, getting the right kind of affection and giving the right kind of affection to people, staying safe, providing for myself, taking care of my emotional needs, healing my wounds from the past. These are all acts of love. These happen naturally in a healthy childhood environment. But for most people, by the way, it doesn't happen. So mm. when we have those wounds, we have to address them. We have to heal them. And then we have to learn how to love ourselves. I have a thing on my website that called 101 plus ways to self-love from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to sleep at night. You know, we think that love is a feeling, you know. I love candy. I love M&Ms. I love, you know, vodka tonic. I, I love pot. I love this. I love that. But really what we love is that feeling we get. It's not love at all. In fact, it's self-hatred because we are destroying ourselves with those things. Once we learn that love is an action word, it's an action word. I take the time to take care of myself and my relationships. I share. That's a part of self-love because when I'm sharing, I'm feeling good inside. And so this is um, this is the way out of the maze. And we won't want to go back in it because we'll forget about it. I don't even think about any addictions anymore. I don't think about it. At all. My life is so full of so much joy and peace and happiness and fulfilling my mission, which is to save millions of lives from addiction. But I don't even think about it anymore. It's just I wake yeah. up happy. I go to sleep happy. Yes, lots of challenging things happen and it's uncomfortable, but it's not it's not anything that isn't contributing to my own spiritual and emotional development. Well, we uh, we are grateful for the work that you are doing as you uh, share with us here on on the program. Dr. Donna Marks and uh, Exit the Maze, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have uh, Donna with us here on the program. Uh, Dr. Donna uh, Marks, and uh, you have another work that I want to talk about. Uh, because I, it's one of the areas, of course, that I, I always find so fascinating, having to do with our uh, our spiritual lives, and um, uh, it, this is very interesting that uh, the process uh, for oh becoming a whole human being uh, it certainly can be very very trying, but you. Uh, you talk about uh, in one of your other books, in your other book called Learn, Grow, Forgive. It's a path to spiritual success. Uh, what is, from your perspective, what is spiritual success? Well, I don't believe that we have to, to, to grow into anything. I think we're born. We're born in perfection. I, I'm not discounting people who have birth defects. I mean, that's, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. But... Even so, <clears throat> people with birth defects 
can fulfill a happy and beautiful life full of love. So um, we are born with that inner perfection, regardless. And, um, and so, uh, and, uh, but what happens is it gets, it's not cultivated. Okay, so that beautiful baby's born with or without defects. And that inner self esteem is either cultivated or damaged. And so what we must learn how to do is understand how important that is to, to give that baby it have its needs be met. And, you know, there's so many psychology books written about it, but just the basic needs of feeling loved and cared for. Let's just put it in its simplest term and of value and, and to be treated with love and including discipline is an important part of having a good self-esteem because if we're not taught it early on, where are we going to get it? And so, um, but it's done with, in a firm way, but in a loving way and in an educational way. Uh, where there's consequences, logical consequences, but they're not punitive in the sense of physical punishment or uh, over uh, over over abuse of uh, of a mistake. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we don't tell people they're sinners, evil sinners. They are human beings who make stupid mistakes, <laughs> and all they need to do is correct them. It's just part of being human. It's just normal. But yeah. uh, we we correct them because when I'm an evil sinner. I have so much shame. It's hard for me to admit my mistakes. But if I'm being told it's just normal, it's okay. Let's talk about this. Let's learn from this. Let's grow from this. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed when people are in patterns, the reason I wrote that book, I had a lot of patterns myself and I was so ashamed of them and it kept me trapped in them. So once I realized rather than just judging myself and feeling worse and worse, what am I learning from this and how can I use these same patterns to grow? spiritually mm. and then i naturally lost the patterns um they they left me like addiction does because uh when i am forgiving myself and i'm growing from situations i don't need to keep doing them anymore they just leave me just like an old pair of shoes that doesn't fit anymore there you go there absolutely that's a, it's a great way to put it i've i've often thought of it in terms of uh if it isn't serving me, uh, I'm not going to hang on to it. If, if I'm not using it, if you will, uh, using that analogy, then I'm going to maybe give them to someone else and move on to something uh, newer and nicer and uh, something that I like today. So that's uh, interesting. And it just organically happens. You don't have to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the things, though, that I came to, because um, I was challenged on this to, based upon what you just said, I was challenged on this by someone who turned to me in uh a conversation. They said, well, what about all of the mistakes that you have made? To which I responded, I have never made a mistake in my life. Never. What I have had are life lessons and and or learning experiences, as you, Donna, just described, that those mistakes, if you want to call them, are just that. That's what. That's why we're here to learn. And and so to label them as sins. I. I that's why I. I'm not buying into the whole uh, original sin thing because according to the Old Testament, um, it, you know the sins of the father are passed on to the sins of the son down seven generations. Adam was a heck of a lot more than seven generations ago. So original sin is not mine. Because basically what you're telling me is that from the moment I was born, I had a death sentence 
on my head. And that doesn't make any sense that you, you enter a world or you, you go into, let's just say you're traveling across country and you enter one state and if one hair is out of place, you're penalized in some way, shape or form. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I, I kind of set that particular belief aside. Um, what about this aspect of, some have called it, schoolhouse earth? Uh, are, are we not here to, uh, to, to learn and to grow, as you've talked about, especially in this particular book, so as to evolve physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as spiritually, but that many of the institutions that we have they don't want us to grow. They don't want us to evolve for whatever their nefarious reasons well, might lot, be. A lot of, a lot of doctrines um, are crowd control. And so, you know, even including, you know, governmental crowd mm -hmm. control, sure. COVID crowd control, religious crowd control, rules, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, look, where do you want to put your focus? Mm -hmm. Now, when yes, yes, it's yes, we make mistakes. I, I personally think that, you know, I, I like acknowledging my mistakes to the person who I've hurt or harmed because mm -hmm. it feels good to me to to, to do that because then I'm placing my relationship in um, the uh, a possibility for forgiveness, which is important. And when I acknowledge my mistakes to my husband or my children or my friends, I am um, giving myself permission to be human and to heal whatever wound I might have caused and to give them the opportunity because there's always two. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want us to do that, though, and some people, even if we do it, it doesn't do any good because they are more um, intent on continuing the defect rather than healing it. And in those situations, there's no point in us continuing to apologize and, and trying to atone because it, it just, it's feeding the wolf, so to speak, rather yeah. than saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. From a world perspective, um, you know, countries do the same thing. They never admit they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two wrongs might make a right, like giving arms to both sides, if that happened, <laughs> or none to either, whatever. Or none to either, yeah. Um, but, and we're, we're I'm, I'm going to have to leave in a second. But sure. Again, do we want fear or love? Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that is the solution. And it doesn't mean being weak. It, love is strong. Right. Love is the only thing that's going to survive. And, and the only people that will survive in the end will be the ones who are committed yeah. to that. Everybody else, we won't have to worry about destroying each other. We will destroy ourselves individually. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Donna Marks is my guest here on the program. Donna, uh, I want to ask you three final questions because I know you have to run uh, and I'm going to make those fairly quick. And uh, I thank you again for giving us so much time. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation and I'm hoping that maybe we can uh, do this again sometime and continue this uh, this dialogue. I'd love to. All right. First of those three questions for you is who is Donna Marks? <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I am somebody who um, has overcome a great many things 
and who wants to share that lifetime of experience with other people to help people find their true self, their true mission, their true purpose. And um, my, my mission in life is to save millions of people's lives from addiction and help them to return to the who they really are, which I, I think that uh, everyone has a, has a beautiful soul to them. And, you know, we've got to help them to remove those barriers to who they really are. Because hmm. if, if, we're, if we're stuck in any kind of maze at all, we are not breaking free out of that invisible shell. Hmm. And so that, that's who I am, is committed to that mission of helping people to, to find their true identity, which is love. The next two questions, then, you may have already answered, but I'm going to ask them just the same. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Yes, to save millions of lives from addiction. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Well, it's the same thing, you know, to be, um, to, to represent, in spite of all my flaws, in spite of all my mistakes, in spite of all the things I did wrong, and in spite of all the things that happened to me, and there's been tons of tragedy, uh, poverty, you know, you name it, you can go right down the list, I've been through it. Mm -hmm. But in spite of that, you know, the spirit is manifesting. So who I am is committed to being who I am here, and to fulfill my mission. And uh, you found your life to be worth living. You're still with us in spite of everything or maybe even because of everything you've been through. And we thank you for being with us here on this program. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I thank you for being with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We hope that you will listen to and or watch the programs. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.